So hello, Gabriella. Hello, Dominic. <laughs> so lovely to have you. It's wonderful uh, for my first podcast here. Um, and the theme is about women's journeys. Mm-hmm. the ups and downs of it, and mostly what success means to each of you. So I wanted to start us off with you because you're such an example of an incredible journey and a very different journey. You turned 50 not too long ago. Yes, very true. <laughs> and with that, I was wondering if turning 50 brought some perspective to you, a new perspective about your journey and about success and what we mean by success. I think turning 50 put three things in perspective for me. One was that my mortal time on earth is limited. I was keenly aware of my mortality as I'm approaching this 50th birthday going, oh my goodness. Mm. Uh, It's not 40 or 30 where you think you have all the time in the world. This is very, very different. It's like, no, it's not the same thing at all. So at this point, it's like, okay, I'm very keenly aware that there is less and if not no time to waste and that what I've been wasting time on is my fear. Oh, okay. You have been doing so much in 50 years. So you still felt that you were wasting time. Yeah, because to me, it doesn't look like I've done enough. And that's, you know, my stuff, that's old stuff, not good enough, not strong enough, not smart enough, whatever, you know, vestiges from childhood. But it, it's, it, it seems to me, and perhaps it's just my own dissatisfaction at this point, that I should be further along than I am. So I'm trying to learn to be grateful for where I am now. Because, mm-hmm. yes, looking back, it is quite a bit. But at the same time, it's like, you know what, if I had to do it again, I would absolutely and if I had to do it this way again, I probably would. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tell us about this journey, because without this journey, you wouldn't be at this stage saying, well, I could do more. There's not much time to waste and I want to achieve what I've always put on the back burner or have been afraid to go after. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the journey that got you to here. Well, as you know, we're siblings and so we are, <laughs> we are two of six And so it's a household that was very driven, and rightly so. The parents came from abject poverty from Haiti, and I applaud both of them because they certainly didn't want their children to go through that. And so, you know, we come from some very hardworking, intelligent, ridiculously intelligent people who have really pulled themselves up from their bootstrap from absolute dire circumstances. And I don't know, you know, looking back at the few stories that I know about how mom and dad grew up, Could I have been able to go through that? I don't know. So with all its difficulties and all of its baggage that came along with it, you know, at this point in my life, I'm not going to say, oh, they could have done differently. They did the best they could. Absolutely. And I'm a product of that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but growing up, you know, in a house full of very driven people and conservative people that in order to be considered, uh, top-notch, you you went to med school. And so that's what I did. That was the one profession that was (laughs) definitely on in our family. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I remember mom coming up to me and says, okay, you could be a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, an engineer, or I think agronomy or accounting was something. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, there wasn't much choice. Right. But to them, those were the choices. And that was that. And uh, there was nothing else that you could be. 
And so, you know, it's a little confusing for a little kid going, uh, well, uh, um, what if I wanted to be a musician? What if I wanted to be a high level professional in sports or in anything else? Right. No, no, that wasn't even a concept. Right. Uh Uh, Or even discussed. It wasn't even a possibility. So in a way, I mean, I appreciate it because there's no way I would be making the decisions I'm making now about what's next for me. If I hadn't gone through what I have gone through in my personal journey, I did go to med school. And I think for me personally, it's, I had something to prove. Being the third of six, the middle child, and hearing the whispers behind my back, what's going to happen to Gabby? No, we're worried about <laughs> Gabby. Uh, she's not as smart or as vocal as some of her siblings. And, and what's going to happen to Gabby? We don't know. We don't know. What are we going to do with her? I mean, I spent a good chunk of my childhood just hearing that. And after right, a while, because you were a quiet child, you were the third child, and and so you decided to go to med school and prove to yourself and to others that you were just as bright as anybody else, and even brighter. I did it. I had to prove it to myself too, because after a while, I believed that I wasn't smart enough or as bright as the rest of them, and that maybe I was going to lead an average life, and that was my lot in life. But I got into med school. I worked my little tail off. I graduated in top 10 of my class. I got into a top-notch residency program. I did what I was supposed to do. At Duke University, no less. Yeah, I'm a graduate of Howard University College of Medicine, and I'm a graduate of Duke University uh, Internal Medicine Program. And so all that took place early to late 1990s, and I had arrived (laughs) And I could tell my family, and particularly my parents, that I did it. And I could tell myself I did it, and I'm not an idiot. But I also remember graduation from med school, which was supposed to be an incredibly happy day, was just so depressing for me in so Mm. many ways. I was happy because I got to show off. You know, I got to show off my diploma and my prizes and all the accolades I received. But at the same time, it was such a sad day because the next thing is like, now what's next? Right. And so you came to the realization that you were not on the right path for you. No, because I spent most of my fourth year of med school crying my ass out almost every day. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know why. I would just Mm -hmm. break out and start bawling. (laughs) <laughs> in the corner yeah. somewhere. Usually like, our bodies know wrong? before we, the rest of us do. <laughs> exactly. It's like uh-huh, I had no idea what was happening to me, but I knew that like something was just profoundly wrong. Ouch. And yeah. uh, But I went through it. It's like, well, what else am I going to do? This is my training. This is my education. There's nothing else. I don't know anything else. And I don't think most people would have challenged that. Mm-hmm. You know, the conditioning is such that, well, I'm a doctor now, so I'm going to practice medicine for the rest of my working life. Right. And you you chose to do differently. Yeah, when I hit, you know, it's always the eve of the decades, the birthday decades that I get these crises. So when I hit my late 20s into early 30s, while I was a resident, and as I was finishing up my residency, I came to the conclusion, and this was just so, you know, after it was just a culmination of things. But after a while, it's like, I, I just can't do this anymore. Can't live this life. Anymore. I, I can't. I was uh, on my apartment floor screaming and kicking and screaming. And I said, what is wrong with me? I don't have any particular huge responsibilities. I don't have children. I don't even have a pet for crying out loud. And, you know, everything is set the path is set. Once I finish the residency, I find a job and, you know, I, I, I make a big salary and everything is fine. And I do that until I hit 65 and bravo, fini, you know. And what is my problem? 
And then this big voice came out of nowhere. Dominic, it felt like this Hollywood orchestra, uh-huh. silent orchestra that just popped out of nowhere. And in this big boomy baritone voice said, but you're not happy. Mm. Point blank. And it's like, you know, I led a complicated life, at least intellectually. Things always had to be difficult and complicated and patients were difficult and complicated and their cases were difficult and complicated. So I lived in that situation 24-7, that everything had to be complicated. So the simplicity of that booming voice, like shock, mm. like, you're not happy. <laughs> You're and not you happy. Know it, and, and it you've was known it, and it was the truth. I couldn't so deny own it. it now, right? right? Exactly. I'm like, wow. So I asked the next question. I didn't know who the hell I was talking to, but I asked <laughs> the next question, and I said, "Well, what am I supposed to do now?" And it answered. It said, "You can't live like this anymore." Mm. Can't live this life. Yeah. You can't live like this anymore. So, so it you wasn't changed. Gonna, you it, changed, Gabriella. You changed. Like I mean, you actually changed life, like a hundred and eighty degree. It uh, took me ten turn. years to make that hundred and eighty degree turn. Okay. Let's, let's me not. Let's not make that assumption that all of a sudden it was overnight. Mm-hmm. But that moment, one of the things that struck me was that not just because the booming voice out of nowhere, but it's like, wow, I'm not alone. And I started understanding and like, at least intellectually and perhaps in my own body that there was a God and I had a relationship to God and that the next day I went to work and I was grinning from ear to ear (laughs) (laughs) and the nurses were like, what was wrong with you? Are you a lover in something? Or did you find somebody? What's going on? I said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not in love. I just, something happened. I didn't explain anything. I just said, everything's fine. But I also noticed Maybe you that fell in love with yourself. Possibly, probably, mm-hmm. because what was interesting is I started letting go, starting surrendering. It's like, I don't know what's next because the voice never told me what to do. It just said, you just can't live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was like, well, I don't know what's next, but yeah, I can't live like this anymore. And it was such a tremendous relief that I would go to work smiling and going over to my patients' rooms and the patients, without me having to do anything massively complicated, you know, started getting better. And it was lighter. The atmosphere was lighter. The, the, the whole thing is like, then I started understanding, you know, we're not here alone. I'm not here alone. There's a higher power at work here. And, and it's, if I let the higher power do what it's supposed to do, rather than try to interfere and make things incredibly complicated, which is what a doctor does, then it's like <laughs> things, things actually work. So I, I you, became, you got out of your own way yeah. and you just did what came naturally, it seems, and just were hooked into this uh, bigger uh, power. Absolutely. It was, it was, it was magical. It, it was a point where I, I did what I was supposed to do and rightly so, but also knew when to stand back and watch. And it's like we were working together. You know, we were working in concert. I wasn't trying to outsmart God. And I didn't know that that's what we did. You know, that most of the time we spend trying to, uh, trying to figure God. it out yes. and, and go in a direction that's more intellectual where instead of surrendering, as you beautifully put it, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't mean surrender doesn't mean you give yourself up. Like you just let somebody else figure it out for you. That's abdication. Let's make sure we're clear about the difference. 
surrender is working in concert with universal forces, if that makes sense, that you're part of that equation, mm-hmm. that you're, you're not the dominant force, but you're an equal part of that equation and your contribution right. to that equation is just as vital as everyone else's. I think that that was the biggest lesson for me. So after that, I finished the residency, but I knew that was it. And the residency finished in such a high note because I got a chance to do an exchange program in Africa, in Tanzania. That was my first trip to Africa. And so I worked in a hospital there. But honey, I spent so much time partying, (laughs) going to the disco, meeting people, learning a new language, you know, and learning about a new culture. And just, it was just so free and amazing and beautiful and to be able to see how people from other parts of the world actually live, which is nowhere near what we do here. And one of the gentlemen who was our host over in Tanzania at the hospital, he had been part of an exchange program too. He spent a few months in his first trip to America was in Atlanta, Georgia. And he said he enjoyed himself. He was at a hospital center there. But he said he couldn't wait to go back home. And, you know, despite all the technology and the money and the this and the that, he said, where was the joy? Mm. There was no joy. I got that when the time I spent there, I spent two and a half months in Tanzania. And I said, oh, my God, every morning I woke up to the call to prayer. There was a mosque not too far from where we were. And so every morning, 6 a.m., because you're on the equator, so 12 hours nighttime, 12 hours daytime. And that was the wake-up call every day. And it was just the most amazing thing. And you wake up, you wake up to music. And you wake up to people talking to each other and and interacting and greeting each other. Greeting somebody over there was so important. You spent time doing that. You know, how are you? How is your household? How is your family? How is your work? You went through this whole series of questions as part of a standard greeting you know, every day. <laughs> Before and, you got to the procedure, to the to the what's wrong, to the what, what can we do for you? So it yeah. was a human connection. It was a human connection. Right. And, and you and, mentioned a number of um, words, well, a couple of times, words like in concert and music. Mm-hmm. And uh, the I can't help but bring us back to, yeah. not back, but forward, fast forward, to you owning your path as a musician. You know, it never occurred to me that I was, and it never occurred to me that I would go there. I took three years off after I finished my residency. and But then again, that question, well, you can't live like this. So then, well, what am I supposed to do? I still had no answer. And so after a while, it's like, well, maybe it's time I have this diploma. I have this certification. It's time. Let me go back to work. So I found a position in New York City. And it took, you know, uh, you know, a year's worth of dealing with immigration before I could get down here. And that's why it took so long. But the minute I landed in New York City, I saw this paper, newspaper, this rag. And so they had different kind of off-color events in the city, concerts, clubs, that kind of stuff. And there was this full-page ad for drum lessons. Mm. And as part of the World Music Collective, and it was an instrument called the djembe, which I had seen in action a couple of years before that, a few years before that, but I was like, oh my God, I fell in love with that thing. I saw it on stage, a guy playing this thing and women dancing. I love it when women dance. And so I said, I need to learn how to play that. But it took a few years and I finally saw the advertisement and I said, oh my God, I signed up right away. So I landed Mm -hmm. in New York in 1998 in July 
and by January 1999, I had signed up for my first drum lesson, and I haven't looked back since. And I don't know what I was going to do with it, if anything. It's just, it made my week. It got me through the week when I would go to the drum lesson. So and, you didn't know, but you trusted yeah. that it would bring you where you needed to be. I trusted that it would do something. You let the details settle <laughs> settled themselves on their own, right? Yeah, I so. mean, the initial reaction was that it made me feel human. It's like, oh, I can connect to this world and to the people around me in a different way as opposed to uh, dissecting their problems and listening to problems all day long. This was a, a chance to talk about something other than problems. And it was a chance to connect to another human being and to just have a regular conversation and to talk through the drums and to connect through the drums. And it was just such a powerful thing that anytime they said, hey, Gabriella, we have some extra shifts for you. It's a little bit more, you know, some extra cash. You want to do it? My first question was, what night? Right. So it wouldn't interfere. So it wouldn't interfere with us. Oh, but, Uh you know, so I said, is it obligatory? They said, no. I said, Okay, the answer is no then, because the priority was drum class and getting to my drum class. Because that So you look like drumming was about connecting rather than analyzing and dissecting, as you say. So very different activities. Mm-hmm. One made you feel human, in touch with other people, in touch with yourself in a magical way. And the other one is all about finding what's wrong and then trying to fix it and uh, being in touch with people's body parts or problems as opposed to them as a whole. So you went from that, I got to do this. That's the only thing I can do on those evenings. It Mm -hmm. makes my week to actually leaving medicine and starting on your own as a musician. Starting yeah. your own your own ensemble and creating music, performing. Mm-hmm. And so what was that like? Scary. <laughs> but once the decision was made, as I said, it took about 10 years to make the 180. You know, I practiced for about seven years, all the while saying, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? What am I doing here? Mm-hmm. But all the while taking drum lessons. And it was once a week, then twice a week, then three times a week, then four times a week. <laughs> Just like total drug. And eventually I realized, I go, you know, but my job is interfering with my drumming. <laughs> and it's like, I, this is not working for me because that's when I started becoming more involved in performance and not my own, but, you know, for other people and doing, you know, and starting to teach a little bit. And, and it's like, this is really a pain in the butt. I, 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 I have to make a choice. I can't do both. And so uh, I finally did. And I asked for guidance uh, from the powers that be, from the powers above. And I said, you know, should I stay or should I go? And the answer came in the, the face of a superbly angry patient who was a uh, corrections officer who wanted me to sign some paperwork that I refused to sign because I didn't think it was appropriate. And uh, who lived a block away from clinic. And for the first time in 15 years, 15 years of med school, residency, uh, practice, um, you know, having gone to the weirdest places, you know, jail clinics, incarcerated inmates handcuffed to the beds while being examined, psychiatric wards with some very seriously crazy people, et cetera, et cetera. I was never afraid. For the first time in my life, I was afraid to go to work because she lived a block away from clinic. And it's like, well, she, you know, my mind went crazy. This is a a corrections officer. What if she has a gun at home? Mm -hmm. And that's the first time I was ever afraid. And I said, you know what? Thank you. Thank you. I have my answer. It's time to go. Right. And so that fear made you realize there was nothing to fear on the other 
outside. Yeah, exactly. And so the and decision so, became natural. It became actually fairly easy once I made the decision, which was like on the eve of the 40th birthday. <laughs> Another decade. Another okay, decade. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now from 40 to 50, yeah. you're, you're continuing to evolve. Yes. And um, so you've added, so you've got the music and the spirituality that's making more and more of a, its presence felt in your life mm-hmm. from the, some of the things you've shared with me. You're taking some steps to pursue that as well. Yeah. And the music is continuing. And now you have a, a job that seems to combine a number of things that you're taking on. Yeah, because part of that, that healer function in me is still there, you know, I, and it wasn't traditional Western medicine. I guess that's what I had to find out, Mm. that that's not my way. That music definitely is involved in how I touch people and heal people on one on a larger scale. And number two, in a way that lifts spirit, lifts vibration, that for one minute, even 30 seconds, suspend the misery, suspend the attachment to suffering. Mm. And even if that window opens just a little bit and cracks just a little bit, then I did my job, you know? And so that that way, the rest of the stuff, the medications, the treatments, the follow-up visits, whatever people have to go through, then, you know, it doesn't mean that they don't have to go through it, but I don't, why not change the perspective? And I think that my job is to change that perspective, to give people hope in a very real way and hope through creativity and expression of their creativity. So I'm excited about doing this consulting work where I get to set up arts and healing programming and the underlying theme is celebration. Mm. Celebration. I've worked with domestic violence survivors, all sorts of sexual violence survivors, et cetera, et cetera, uh, through the drum and through music. And so will it erase the past? No, absolutely not. The question is, how do you approach your next step forward? And uh, these women have taught me a lot because that's what they want. They want to have fun. <laughs> they, they Despite everything going on yeah. in their the, in their lives now, or their what happened in the past, yeah. the healing is through celebration and it's having celebration. fun Absolutely. and feeling that joy you, mm-hmm. you mentioned. Absolutely, and that's wow. That's okay, what I do. so that's you're it's music, it's medicine, and we talked about magic too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, Tell a us a bit topic. about your about the magic <laughs> component in your equation. Oh my God. Is, is that <laughs> moment of God, that, that tie in knowing when to step forward, when to step back, knowing when to work in concert with, you know, God universe, whatever you want to call it, if anything at all, but, um, you know, understanding that there's something bigger than myself out there and I'm not working alone. You know, I know my people, my ancestors are watching over me and that they're taking care of me. They're guiding me, whether this makes sense or not, whatever. You know, my relationship with God is changing and evolving and knowing that I'm part of a plan, as we all are, part of a larger plan, of a larger purpose. The infinite plan. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like everybody has a purpose in life, whether we realize what it is or not. It's sometimes it's clear. Sometimes it's not. Some people know from the time they're born. Some people take, you know, like me, it takes a while. I'm a late bloomer. And um, it's but at the same time, it's like, okay, and it shifts. It continues to grow and shift. And and as I put my finger on it, it is it's still for me taking time to to actually clearly define what my purpose is. But I do it through the music and I see the impact that it has 
And I feel the impact that it has, not only for me in my life, in dealing with anything from the existential questions, why am I here, to uh, my big fight over the years, which has been chronic depression. And the music has done such an amazing and engaging in my music, composing my music, arranging my music, having my own ensemble, as hair-raising as this has been at times, that it's like it reminds me every day that, you know, my joy is there. I think what you said was so powerful and so moving. And I have one more question for you, because mm-hmm. I know we're almost up in terms of the time that we have together. You mentioned late bloomer. I'd love to rephrase that mm-hmm. as multiple blooming. Some flowers bloom a number of times. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yes, we can see it as late according to whose agenda. I think it's an old agenda. Oh, by 65, you should be retired and well and well off and looking after whatever grandchildren or grandnephews and nieces and and, uh, playing golf somewhere. And uh, now we have a very different lifespan and different ways of engaging. And we may be blooming more than once. So I'm looking forward to this blooming. (laughs) And, uh, And if I were to ask you... Where do you see yourself upon turning 60? I participated in a workshop recently, and that was one of the questions. Write a letter to your future self. Mm -hmm. And my future self was a big Afro with silver hair, you know, in this beautiful home, a home that is nurturing and beautiful and, and loving. And and she's sitting on the couch looking at me, just giggling. (laughs) <laughs> and but in a kind way but she's like kind of laughing and giggling and chuckling and 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 I'm sitting on the opposite side going what the hell and what is she telling you she's or telling what she, me yeah. that it's not as hard as I thought it is as I think it is that it's not as hard as I think it is because I see myself on a world stage I see myself performing uh my brand of world music uh, all over the world and in this current state, I'm like, how is this going to happen? I have no idea. I don't know. But she's telling me it's not as hard as you think it is. Mm. And that's your mantra right now. Yeah. It can be easier. It doesn't have to be as difficult as what we saw for our parents as struggling immigrants and what they created and what they were able to overcome. It was always about hardship. Mm-hmm. And what you're describing is fun and giggling and beauty and very much in the flow and easy. Yeah. Right. And so I'm going to stop us now because I think anybody listening to this would say, I want to know more. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we've got you uh, hooked for another couple of podcasts and telling us a little bit about some of these uh, discoveries that you have and that can be so inspiring for others. Anyway, I love you to pieces. (laughs) I'm so happy you agreed to this and really uh, look forward to the next time we connect and talk. And you and I have been collaborating on a few very interesting projects and we can talk about that another time. But uh, all the best on your 50th year and speak to you soon. All right, sweetie. Take care, sis. Bye-bye.